You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. the next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited Podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast with your host, Dr. Mike Brazier. On today's episode, we're going to bring you our first update of the summer from the prairies, uh, Prairie Pothole region. It's going to be a bit of a different episode because we're going to piece together conversations with two different individuals. We're going to have someone from the U.S. side of the border talk with us about habitat conditions up there. And then we're also going to have someone from Canada. Dr. Scott Stevens will join us on the latter half of this episode to give us an update from there. But right now, we're joined on the phone by Dr. Johan Walker, Ducks Unlimited's Director of Operations for the Great Plains region. Johan, it's great to have you here. Hey, great to be here, Mike. Nice to talk to you. This is always a an exciting time of the year. Birds have returned north. They're, they're settling out across the landscape. For several months now, people that are interested in waterfowl and waterfowl hunting have been gazing to the north and looking at the Weather Channel and looking at drought monitors and doing all sorts of mental interpretation to try to figure out what the bird's going to return to and then where are they going to settle and then we're all just sort of doing our best to guess at whether it's going to be a good year or not. It's never too early for that kind of that kind of thinking. And so this is our first real opportunity opportunity to talk with you about what you are seeing. It, it has certainly been an interesting past few months. We are recording this the very first week of, of May just to give people a little bit of context. And so, Johan, take us back a few months as we were coming out of winter 
and already starting to look forward to spring. And then how did things, what were things like then in North Dakota? Let's just start there. And then what happened? I know there's a lot of, a lot of big news that, that has come out over the past several weeks. So walk us through that in terms of uh, what we saw. Yeah, thanks, Mike. I think that's a good sort of place to start. We came out of what was initially a fairly snowy winter around Christmas time or so. And then it dried out and got super cold and, and did not snow, which had many of us on the edge of our seat at DU here in Bismarck, you know, knowing that we were dealing with severe drought conditions going into fall and we'd been hoping for a much snowier winter. So we were coming out maybe average and had we been coming out of a wet year we would have expected decent wetland conditions but say first of april i was thinking if this doesn't start to turn around we're going to have another pretty dry year maybe not quite as bad as last year but but pretty dry and drought monitors were saying similar things and then i think it was the week of the 12th of april so that monday was the 11th and that week a pretty massive snowstorm worked up along the eastern front of the Rocky Mountains and and moved northeast through North Dakota and left behind anywhere from, you know, 8 to 38 inches of snow. Places like Minot received over 3 feet. Most of eastern North Dakota received somewhere between a foot and a half and two feet of heavy wet snow over that three-day period at the end of that week. The moisture equivalent there was somewhere between three and six inches, depending on where you were. So that was a huge shot in the arm. Now, the interesting thing about it is anyone who's a serious duck nerd will know that lots of ducks had already arrived. Some may have already gone past us. Some may have headed back south as a result of that briefly and then came back north. So all those settling questions are still in play, but that really improved the moisture profile in the soil. Then about two weeks later, 10 days later, we got another blizzard that dumped snow in some places and rain in others, but the moisture equivalent there was about another three inches on average over most of eastern North Dakota. Again, that put some water on top of the ground, and I've been out a little bit making some trips around the state and have seen good numbers of ducks. You know, not the kind of thing you would expect in the wettest years, but a a massive improvement over last year in terms of the amount of water out on the landscape. North Dakota, for the most part, except for the very northwest corner of the state, has been lifted out of drought conditions, at least according to the drought monitors. But we're still, for the last six months, not much above what we would consider average precipitation. So it's good, but we're still we're still working our way out of the drought conditions that have built up over a couple of years. That's really good perspective, uh, and and I wasn't exactly aware of that particular that particular issue. Is like how far out of the drought have we come? Is this a record year in terms of the number of wetlands we're going to see? It sounds like it's not. It sounds like we're not seeing tremendous amounts of flooding there in North Dakota. What can you tell us about uh, about that? So Red River Valley and east of the the really traditional breeding pothole country is got a lot more snow, but that snow didn't fall in the places with the best wetlands, unfortunately. So there is flooding up through the Red River Valley into Manitoba, but 
kind of east of what I consider the most productive areas for breeding ducks. And then as you move your way west in the northwest corner of the state, there are still drought conditions, which is kind of classic North Dakota, right? (laughs) Where we got floods on one end of the state and drought on the other. But in the middle, which is a lot of good breeding duck country, we're definitely in better shape than we were last year. From an agricultural point of view, I think they got a little more water than they would have liked all at once while they were trying to start planting and people were calving. But my impression is that the wetland conditions have really improved. I would be surprised, Mike, if this was any kind of a record. But not having data for a couple of years, I'm cautious about making any strong predictions. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what North Dakota Game and Fish comes up with with their Mm -hmm. surveys. They have continued to conduct those state-level surveys for the past two years, and so we'll at least have some comparisons there. I'm sure there will be a huge jump up from last year. What what do you what have you seen regarding uh, how high the water is in the in the potholes? Is it in that rim of vegetation? I was talking to somebody the other day about uh, what this might mean, what we might see once pictures start coming out, and once we get reports from the uh, from the BPOP survey later this year. We were thinking about canvas backs. You know, the conversation I had with Mike Anderson last year was of the of the context of uh, we're seeing good growth although the wetlands were dry he was seeing robust growth of of that emergent vegetation around the rim of the wetlands and he said once water returned should be great nesting habitat for those overwater nesters have you is has is the water up in the vegetation at the rim of those wetlands now Yeah, so I took a drive out to Fargo along Interstate 94 just for a little context over the weekend. And the semi-permanent wetlands like you describe and larger seasonal wetlands were for the most part starting to look fairly full. What I had my eye on more because I'm sort of thinking about, you know, what's this initial productivity look like was the smaller seasonals and temporaries. and Many of those were also filling up. So that looked generally consistent with kind of what you're imagining, that the wetland conditions will look good. Now, like I said, the soil's still a little thirsty, in my opinion. So if we went into a couple of hot months, things could dry back down quite a bit by the middle of the breeding season. So from North Dakota's perspective, we're going to be, would you say, a bit above average? If you kind of had to ballpark it, kind of give us an idea there. Yeah, if I had to guess, I would guess we're somewhere between the median year, the average year, the middle of the road year, and a little better than that, but nothing like a 75% year, if that makes sense. Yeah, that is helpful. I think we'll have to manage expectations because we everybody saw these storms coming through and we all got excited, me included. And there's reason to be mm-hmm. excited, make no mistake, because this is a huge lift from where we were last year, but we're still not uh, still not overflowing. All the wetlands aren't aren't to the to the brim, so we still have a little bit of work to do and a little a little need to continue uh, watching the weather and hope for a little bit more precipitation as we go through the summer, it sounds like. That's right. I'd say there's plenty of reason to be optimistic and that we are in way better shape than we were one year ago on this day. But we had a pretty big debt to repay, right, moisture-wise. And so we're in the process of paying that and then starting to get ahead again. And so if we get, you know, I guess I'd say to our listeners here, you know, don't quit with the rain dances just yet. Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. Well, what can you tell us about South Dakota and then Montana? Each of those two mm-hmm. states produced their own share of ducks. And I know those, I think those storms that you talked about hit those two states to some degree, but I'm not exactly sure what, what conditions are looking like there. So step us through each of those. Okay, yeah. So South Dakota had a particularly dry winter. And in fact, sort of as we were coming into April, some of our conversations around the region were about, looks like South Dakota and North Dakota are going to kind of flip roles this year, right? North Dakota will be a little wetter and South Dakota will be a little drier, which last year was the opposite. That seems to be holding true. Now, most of South Dakota is in a non-drought status, according to like drought monitors. But they're short on precipitation, and I would say over overall dry, like average or a little below average conditions in South Dakota. They need rain, and they need sort of timely rain over the next few weeks to, to maintain decent breeding habitat down there. Montana, the prairie pothole region part of Montana, you'll recall, Mike, is just a fairly small strip of geography north of the Missouri River and south of the Canadian border. And so that area is still, even after a couple of storms and a little bit of moisture, they didn't get near the kind of, you know, not feet of snow or inches of rain. And so they're still in pretty severe drought conditions, as is the the most northwest corner of North Dakota. And I don't expect a lot of productivity out of there unless really massive rains start coming down in the next couple of weeks. I was talking with Jim Hansen from Montana a few weeks ago, kind of inquiring with him about how the wetland conditions were shaping up. And he he echoed basically what you just told me. He did say that the ranchers, the farmers of that area uh, did it? W- it was enough to kind of make them a little breathe a little easier. Things aren't quite as dire for them as they were about you know two months ago or so. Uh, is that does that sound about right? You know, it was it gave a little bit of moisture and gave some relief to our our agricultural partners up there, but uh, but maybe not enough to put a whole lot of water in the wetlands. Yeah, I think that's accurate. I mean, that's a, that's a good way to think about it too, because when you're looking at drought monitors and it's like, oh well, it's not in drought. That might be great if you're planting soybeans, but like we were just talking about a minute ago, after a few dry years, that may be not be enough to fill up your wetlands. Well, what about uh, the phenology of birds arriving, birds settling? I think what we're going to find when we talk with Dr. Scott Stevens uh, on, on on the Canadian perspective is a fairly a significant delay in spring phenology. And so you're talking about a delay in the timing of when birds are going to be able to really initiate breeding uh, in earnest. So what do you, what's your read on things there in North Dakota? You may not have been quite as cold there as, as what we've seen in Canada. What can you tell us there? So I haven't seen, I haven't been out a great deal, but what I have seen is a fair number of three bird flights and other kinds of breeding behaviors among mallards and pintails, but not a lot of mallards and pintails around. Still fairly good-sized groups of later nesting species like northern shovelers and lesser scop, so that indicates to me that they're just showing up and not quite breeding yet. But if I had to sort of give you a a ballpark for the ground I've covered at this point, I'd say we're about average. Okay. You know, there's mallards out there doing their thing. There are probably a few eggs on the ground, but it's not it's not going yet. I'm guessing 
another couple of weeks before the the early nesters like the mallards and pintails are in full swing. Yeah. Okay. And the, and the blue wings and the gadwalls and the later nesters get started. And you were telling me here before we started recording that today was uh, one of the first, well, maybe not today, but the past couple of days you've started to feel like spring is arriving. Maybe you've turned the corner. Temperatures are on the rise. Uh, your forecast for the next seven to 10 days looking in that same direction? Yeah. So we're starting to crack 70 degrees for daily highs every few days. That's kind of a, that's a turning the corner kind of moment up here. So at this point, I think we're on the road to whatever kind of breeding season we're going to get. And most likely most of our precipitation will come as rain from, from here on in. So we're, it's, it's going, Mike. It's just sort of, I'm cautious about yeah. <laughs> what it's going to look like, especially, I don't, I mean, I can't even think about, hey, what was the breeding population like last year yeah. across the region? Yeah, because we don't know. We don't know. Right. <laughs> and we'll have some of that information coming out later this summer. We'll be, as, as, as far as you and I are aware, they are right on the cusp of, of initiating the breeding population survey. I do intend to reach out to some of our federal partners to get an, uh, an, an accurate update on how that's progressing. But yeah, my understanding is that any day now, we should start hearing about the, the survey being, being initiated and, and we'll soon have all that really valuable data. And I know we're all looking forward to that. You bet. And that North Dakota survey that you mentioned earlier will give us a little bit of context yeah. sort of to compare the last couple of years too. So yep. I'm, I'm eager to see some of those early diagnostics and kind of get a sense of what might really be going on out there. Yep. It's been a, been a different couple of years, as everyone knows. Sure has. And we're all ready to put it behind us and get back to normal. So that's for sure. Well, Johan, I don't want to take up any more of your time. You have shared with us exactly what we wanted to, to hear about. And it sounds like we're we're in pretty good shape, way better than last year. Still need some rain uh, to to maintain some of those wetland conditions. Still need some rain to fill some wetland conditions in certain parts of that geography. That's the way it always, typically always goes. It's never uniform conditions of a certain status. There's always some pockets here or there. So uh, we'll continue to hope for some beneficial rains, maybe not too much that it causes any flooding or, or hinders the uh, land use opportunities up there. So, um, but yeah, we'll check in with you sometime later this year, I'm sure. I don't know if it'll be in the summer, might might actually be in the fall, but, but we'll definitely touch base with you and get another update before we head into the hunting season. Hey, that sounds good, Mike, and I appreciate the call and yep, keep thinking wet prairies. A special thanks to our guest here on this part of the episode, you and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. 
Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. The next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit campuswaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation, united by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation, take it outside. Dr. Johan Walker, Ducks Unlimited's Director of Operations for the Great Plains region up in Bismarck. We always appreciate the insight he brings brings to us up there from the prairies, especially this time of year. And at this point in the episode, we are going to shift to our next guest, which is going to be Dr. Scott Stevens, a good colleague of Dr. Walker and mine. But he's going to give us perspective on habitat conditions up in the prairies of Canada. So, Scott, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here, Mike. I can't help but be excited with walk-up music like that. Thank you, Scott. It's good to reconnect with you. It feels like it's been, I don't know, it feels like it's been forever since you and I spoke, but it's probably only been about three months or something like that. But a lot has happened in those three months. One of the one of the things I typically do is introduce you and your title as, I, I forget what it was, but what I do know is it has changed. And so that's the first thing that we want to pick up on is just for the people that have heard you so many different times, just to make them aware of, uh, you know, a slight position change for you there with Ducks Unlimited Canada. You used to be like a director of regional operations for the prairies and boreal, something of that nature, but tell us what you're doing now. Yeah. So now I am, my new title is national director of business development, which means that I have a new team of folks that's mostly our fundraising group um, and includes our international partnerships with fall flights with state agencies and NACA and those kind of things. So, yep, new role and new opportunities to take on. Well, that's pretty cool. Congratulations on the move there. And it just kind of helps introduce some of our listeners here to a few of the different things that we do, different parts of the organization. And we'll probably have you on to talk about that particular aspect of what you do with Ducks Unlimited Canada sometime here in the future. And that'll provide a neat contrast to some of the previous conversations we've had with regard to your involvement in in some of the programs up there. So appreciate that little uh, input and that little information uh, for, for us. We do want to talk on this episode about habitat conditions there in Prairie Canada, we spoke with with Johan about what's going on on the U.S. side of the border, but of course there is a tremendous amount of habitat and breeding ducks and breeding duck potential that occurs obviously in the prairies of Canada as well, and so that's always an important part of the conversation. This is sort of a uh, an armchair um, view of what's happening there. We don't have any data that you or I are going to bring to this particular conversation right now. That will be forthcoming Again, because we have the breeding population survey, waterfowl breeding population and habitat survey being conducted this year. We're excited about that. And I guess we, you know, we're recording this on May 9th. And I saw something a few days ago where any day now the surveys should be initiated. So uh, we'll eventually have a really good database perspective of how habitat conditions uh, bore out this year and duck populations and where they settled and so forth. But at this time of year, 
we're just sort of looking out the window and and looking at what we've seen, what we've heard and experienced up to now to give people an idea of, of how things are shaping up. So with that, I know it's been a really interesting year. Very long winter for y'all there in Manitoba. You're based out of, yes. out of Winnipeg. So walk us through that. How much fun did you have shoveling snow and enjoying all of the, the white weather that you had this year in Winnipeg? Yeah, I've, I've been over snow for a while now. Uh, <laughs> and I would even tell you that I put my snowblower in the garden shed. And this would have been, yeah, in at the end of April. And I had to go get the dang thing back out because we were slated to have another blizzard in in May. So, um, yeah, we we seem to be through that now. But, yeah, winter, winter did not want to end. Um, and then... After we got some of those blizzards, we also had a low pressure system that provided rain on the back end. So we've had a lot of we've had a lot of wet spring weather, which is kind of what we've talked about in the past. You need to compensate for some of the challenges that we had in the past fall. And so, you know, I would say at least here in Manitoba, the conditions have improved quite a bit since the last time we talked. Um, and and we can cover the other bases. Um, not not as much improvement in Saskatchewan and Alberta, still drier conditions in the southern part of those two provinces. In the parklands, a little further north, pretty good conditions, um, lots of snow. But yeah, the, overall, I would say that kind of the outlook is an improvement from last year, which which was pretty tough. But I, I, I'm not expecting a, a stellar year. It's going to be an okay year. Um, the, the kind that Johnny Lynch would put in the category of normal duck crop. Now, now Scott, I want to want to kind of partition things out a little bit more, or at least talk about them in some specificity here from region by region. But the first thing I want to ask you to do, if we, if I gave you, I'm going to say four different regions there in kind of Prairie and Prairie Parkland, Parkland, Canada. If we throw the the parklands, which is that transitional zone between the prairies and the boreal forest, stretches across Manitoba. Saskatchewan, Alberta, if we take that Prairie Parkland area all as one one region, and then if we take kind of southern Manitoba, southwestern Manitoba, that's where the majority of the duck habitat is going to be. And then if we take southern Saskatchewan, we go Prairie Saskatchewan, and then Prairie Alberta, rank those one through four in terms of their on average kind of potential to to produce ducks. Not Not this year, but let's say if we were just to say over the past 30 or 40 years, how would you rank those most productive to uh, to number four? Yeah. So at the top of the list would be Southern Saskatchewan, sort of Prairie Saskatchewan, and then would be Southern Alberta. And then we'd probably jump back to Parkland Saskatchewan. And, and then in the mix, we'd throw probably Parkland Alberta and Manitoba. Um, Manitoba, the challenge is there just isn't we don't have a big chunk of of area that's pothole country in Manitoba, so it's more it's smaller geographically than than some of the other areas in the other two provinces. I asked that question because this is a another classic year in which we have variable habitat conditions across that geography that that we just described there. the The heavy snow, the blizzards, the rain the abundant runoff of of water from those storms has been greatest in southern Manitoba, 
southwestern Manitoba, and that was that kind of ranks farther down the list in terms of the which of those regions is is most productive. Not saying there aren't important duck areas there. It certainly is important for some overwater nesting species like canvasbacks or some classic uh, work that's been done there in southwestern Manitoba. We've talked about it with uh, previous guests, and so there's definitely ducks that are produced there. But it's not it's not like the it's not the the top of the list in terms of duck production potential there. And so if we, if you, you, you talked about all that, the blizzard, the rain and, and so forth, um, what in Manitoba, what have we seen or what did we see over the winter in Southern Saskatchewan and Alberta? How did it compare relative to all the, the blizzards that, that came through uh, Manitoba? Yeah, let's, let's maybe start with Alberta. Alberta's a little bit unique um, in that it it is it is like western montana uh where we will get sort of warm chinook winds coming off the mountains and those will create you know warm up periods in southern alberta so you know even if they have pretty good snowfall they'll lose much of their snowfall you know throughout the winter is is pretty common there so southern alberta was pretty dry this year and, you know, so conditions are, are pretty tough down there. Southern Saskatchewan had a bit of snow, but, but not nearly the amount of snow that the more northern areas in Saskatchewan, like in the parklands, had. And, and keep in mind, you know, last fall when we went into freeze-up, we always talk about soil moisture, and it was, it was pretty dry. So, you know, we needed quite a bit of snow to generate a bunch of runoff and you know, at least in southern Alberta and southern Saskatchewan, we did not get that. Now, what about what about the amount of moisture that would have fallen in those areas relative to how it could have benefited ranchers and agricultural producers? That's always the other important part of this conversation when we think about the places we work, the partners that we have across that landscape. Working lands programs are vital to our effective conservation work, and so we always think about the people that are working those lands ranchers, farmers, and they've struggled from drought conditions as well. Although the moisture may not have been enough to refill all the wetlands in southern Saskatchewan and southern Alberta, as you just just described, what does the soil moisture condition look like as we're going into spring for those areas from the perspective of ranchers and, and agricultural producers? Yeah, the, the short answer is, is much better than where we were last year at this time. So, you know, I, I actually haven't studied the recent drought maps, but I would say we're probably closer to normal than we are sort of the significant drought that we had last year. So, you know, conditions will be better for for some of those ranchers, for even for people who are looking to plant a crop this year. Soil moisture is is okay where they aren't going to be too worried about that right now. And, you know, as as always, you're, you know, you're looking for the next dose of precipitation. And we're, you know, we, we had a bit of that here in Manitoba. We had rain all day today. So more moisture going into the ground. And I, I know I was looking at the radar earlier and that was passing across southern Saskatchewan. So that's that's still there. And, you know, we're getting spring precipitation but, you know, it's probably not enough that's going to run into wetlands and refill wetlands that are either dry or not not at their capacity. Scott, I'm actually looking at the Canadian Drought Monitor right now. I think this is the April 30th date that I'm looking at. And there's actually a fairly large portion of southern Saskatchewan that's that uh, by 
indication on this map is, is you know, drought-free. But as we've talked about with other folks, just because an area is drought-free doesn't necessarily mean they received enough rain to refill wetlands. It's kind of like we talk about different things in terms of what those drought maps are telling us. So most of eastern, eastern Saskatchewan is in like an abnormally dry kind of condition. But then as you work your way west uh, into western Saskatchewan and then into southern Alberta, you get into moderate drought uh, all the way up to extreme drought. So those areas are still, as you described, pretty dry. And we, we are going to be continuing to look for some beneficial rains in those areas. Now, we contrast that with, uh, with what was happening in Manitoba from all that rain. And interestingly, this is a bit of a surprise to me. There is still some abnormally dry areas there uh, in southwestern Manitoba, starting around Brandon and working the way north up the, the west side of the province there. Uh, that's a bit of a surprise to me. I, I figured that all of Manitoba would be out of drought, but it looks like there was some kind of regional variation in where that rain fell. But one, what I do want you to talk about here is just how much snow and rain fell there. And I guess what we would say is the Red River Valley. One thing that some people may not realize, I didn't until I actually worked up there as a, as a field technician, Red River uh, goes through North Dakota and then flows north into into Canada. And so then for, for someone like me who's lived all their lives in the southern U.S., southeastern U.S., where everything, all the rivers flow south, it like turned my world upside down whenever I learned that there's a river that flows north. So, so some of the snow that we that we talked about with Johan that fell in North Dakota and is now melting and running off is actually contributing to some flooding issues actually in Manitoba, right? Yeah, and and that whole idea of water moving to the north and then flowing into a lake that's still covered in, you know, I, I was out there a few weeks ago and it was covered in 40 inches of ice still. Um, that will be reduced now. But yeah, that that's what creates part of the problems is, you know, sort of ice dams and ice jams in where that water is flowing can can really create additional flooding, but we've just had enough precipitation that those systems are kind of full of water. And yeah, uh, even even my office here at Okamak Marsh was closed last week because of overland flooding and, you know, the ability of our lift station to keep up with, with moving water that came out of the bathrooms into, you know, into the treatment ponds out here. So you know, those sort of challenges are are definitely out there, especially in the Red River Valley right now. Scott, what have you seen in terms of ducks moving into the area and starting to settle? I don't know how much opportunity you've had to get out, drive across the landscape. I think you were traveling last week, but uh, what have you heard or from other people maybe in terms of ducks that are starting to show back up there now? Yeah, well, well, I know, I know that that sort of blizzard conditions followed by rain that we had sort of pushed birds back south. Um, so, you know, we are just this past, over the past week, just now warming up where, you know, birds are moving back in. I was out for a run yesterday morning and saw my own first pair of blue wing teal. I was very excited to see blue wings back here. One of my favorite ducks. Uh, so to see them on the wing cruising around was good again, but yeah, the, the spring is, you know, with all that snow, the spring is a little later than normal. Um, here in Manitoba, I, I think birds were probably back and and getting busy a little earlier as you move further west. 
I was talking to one of your colleagues there at DU Canada, Dr. Jim DeVries. I guess it would have been early last week. I was kind of quizzing him on what he had seen and asked about the phenology, the timing of things this year because of the the storms and the abnormally cool, cold weather that y'all had. He he estimated that y'all were at least about two weeks uh, behind a normal spring, and that has important implications for potential duck production. So talk about that a little bit in terms of how that affects uh, productivity opportunities for production of ducks when we have a late uh, a late spring. Yeah, we, we know from lots of research that the earliest birds are the ones that are the most successful in actually producing young that survive through the fall and winter and come back to breed sort of true recruitment, we would call it, recruitment into the breeding population. So, yeah, when you have delays like this, it just means the earliest birds are a little later um, in the year. I I would say that the precipitation that we got will more than compensate for those delays just because of the improved habitat conditions, and that'll let them have good conditions for re-nesting if they have a little lower nest success early on. So, I think the trade-off was a good one this year um, here in Manitoba, but uh, I suspect that that phenology is a little more normal as we head west. Scott, as we start to wrap up this this particular episode here, one thing that I don't think we've talked much about, uh, and it's very important this year where we have, uh, very important for people to be aware of this year, where we have much improved wetland conditions which we're all excited about is certainly on, on the U.S. side in portions of Manitoba, portions of Saskatchewan, there's still some dry areas in western Saskatchewan and Alberta, as we've talked about. But as we have this tendency to kind of get excited about the productivity of the, of the wetlands, the improved conditions, one thing we have to remember is that part of what we see in the fall is dictated by the number of birds that, tra- that come back north, uh, our, our breeding population. And so if that in turn, is dictated partially by the production that we saw last year. We all know there was very little production last year. So talk about that a little bit in terms of what we might expect. We'll obviously have some numbers later on from the breeding population survey, but if you just kind of had to speculate about it right now, given what we know over the past few years in terms of some depressed productivity, what do you think we're going to be looking at in terms of that breeding population that has returned north? Yeah, I I think that breeding population is probably going to be the lowest we've seen in quite a while, you know, given production was low last year. We know that we're not adding birds to the population after we get past the summer. Um, So then it's just, you know, it's just birds being subtracted out of the population from natural mortality, hunting mortality, those kind of things. So, you know, given, given where we were the last time we had breeding waterfowl surveys, I think this is going to be probably the lowest the lowest breeding population that we will have counted in quite a while now you know there was there was sort of a stepwise decline in that as we went down but now we're catching you know the spring after a poor production year and th- that would be my bet is this will be kind of the lowest overall breeding population that we've seen for probably a couple decades oh wow i wasn't expecting that 
but uh, we'll see how that plays out. Um, but you're probably, you could be right there. I hadn't really thought about it because, yeah, we've had two or three years of, of pretty low production. Last year was, um, by all accounts, certainly out of the prairies, very low. So, uh, yeah, it, it'll be very interesting to see what we get out of the Breeding Population Survey. And um, that'll give us a lot to talk about because we haven't had anything the past couple of years. So there's a lot of uncertainty even going in with some of the, the, the quote, speculation that you and I are doing right now. Yeah, that's right. Well, the good news is we've all been trained for years and years on speculating, and uh, maybe, maybe it's easier when you don't have data. But uh, yeah. that, that would that would be that would be what I would lay out ahead of time, ahead of yeah. seeing any data. Is I think it will be pretty low, the yeah. lowest we've seen in quite a while. Now, the good news is, if we think about density dependence, what we know from years of data is that it when we have low population levels, but we have good breeding habitat conditions, then we can expect pretty high per individual productivity. So there's still a great opportunity here for the production of a fair number of young birds. Uh, we'll see how all that plays out. Uh, we obviously aren't going to have brood surveys, at least across a wide range, but we'll get some indication kind of farther into the future on what uh, what production was like this year. And it'll definitely be better than what it was last year. We know that for a fact. Yeah, I, I would say the other thing we know is that after you come out of those dry periods, usually those initial years when you're getting back wetter, those are pretty productive years. So I, I would agree that I think, you know, areas that have been dry, like southern Manitoba was pretty dry last year, and we've got water there now, I would expect birds to be pretty productive in that system. So I think there is some reason for optimism. Um, but yeah, this is, you know, we're starting with a breeding population that's going to be one of the lowest we've had in a while. So even with good production, it's, it's not going to be a record fall flight. I'll, I'll go out on the limb and say that. Scott, we're going to, we're going to leave it right there. People can continue to watch the weather. We, we still have some drought in the Western portion of the Canadian prairies. And so we still need to be, um, calling for some moisture there, looking for some beneficial moisture, not too much that causes flooding or anything of that nature, but even our, our agricultural and ranching, uh, partners would welcome some additional rain because it's, it's still, still some dry conditions out there. And we'll stay in touch with folks over the coming summer uh, and into the fall. I'm certain, Scott, that we'll get in touch with you as we get into that time period once we get some breeding population data. Probably have you talk about that a little bit. And uh, But for now, we're going to wrap it up. I appreciate you joining us and providing a bit of a uh, armchair perspective, biologist perspective from the armchair, from the office chair, perhaps, of, uh, of what we might be seeing once we once things get wound up there this spring. So appreciate it, Scott. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Always fun to join and, and speculate. Thank you, Scott. A very special thanks to our guest on today's episode, Dr. Scott Stevens, National Director of Business Development for Ducks Unlimited Canada. We always appreciate his time here on the podcast. We thank our producer, Chris Isaac, for the great work he does on these episodes. And then to you, the listener, we thank you for your time and joining us on these episodes and for your support of wetlands and waterfowl conservation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And visit www.ducks.org slash DU Podcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient. 
and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside. 